left off with Jesus, and he was talking about uh, self-disclosure and disclosing himself uh, to his disciples uh, when he says that the one who keeps his commandments has his commandments, the one who loves him, and my Father and I will love him and disclose myself to him. He also said previously that the world is no longer going to see him, but the disciples are going to see him. So Judas kind of confuses the two. Judas is confusing the disclosure in the world, no longer seeing him. And then Judas asks this question. So this is the fourth question. Remember, all of what Jesus has been saying is kind of an answer to the disciples' questions as he's giving this further revelation. So Judas says this in verse 22. He says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? So he's confusing this. Judas is thinking about a physical revelation, and Jesus is actually talking about a personal spiritual revelation that is not only for his disciples, but also for us. I want to point out a theme, a theme that is very, very, very prevalent in the upper room discourse. And it is a theme that we're going to discuss today. Jesus begins this theme back in John 13, 8, when he tells Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you have no part in me, or you have no sharing with me, or no fellowship with me. He continues the theme in the passage that we just discussed about the one who has his commandments and keeps his commandments, loves him, and I will disclose myself to him. And then he reiterates the theme in the passage that we are going to discuss today. And then in John chapter 15, he exhaustively, exhaustively discusses that theme. What is Jesus saying? So the theme is fellowship. It's relationship, it's intimacy, and it's closeness. Discipleship is exactly that. Discipleship is relationship, it is a fellowship, and it is a closeness with Jesus Christ. It is the foundation of discipleship. And I really, really hope, I really, really hope that all of us, myself included, that we place the same emphasis on it as God does, because that's all he's been talking about up until this point, among other things, but he really, really hits on this. He wants, he wants his disciples to have this ongoing fellowship and deep, intimate relationship with himself. So, our message today is deeper discipleship, hence the theme we're going to continue along there. So verses 22 through 24, as I said, Jesus is going to answer this question and kind of correct Judas's understanding. On the advice of Dr. Alexander Graham Bell, the parents of Helen Keller sent for a teacher from the, the Perkins Institution for the Blind in Boston, Massachusetts. 
Ann Sullivan was that teacher. She was a 19-year-old orphan and was chosen for the task of instructing six-year-old Helen Keller. This was the beginning of a close and lifelong friendship between them. There's actually a movie about it. I don't know if you saw it. It's a great, great movie. Love the movie, so recommend the movie. By, the, by means of a manual alphabet, Anne spelled into Helen's hands words such as doll or puppy. Two years later, Helen was reading and writing Braille fluently. At the age of 10, Helen learned different sounds by placing her fingers on her teacher's larynx and hearing the vibrations. Later on, Helen went to Radcliffe College, where Anne spelled the lectures into Helen's hand. Helen decided to devote her life to, after graduating with honors, she decided to devote her life to helping the blind and the deaf. And as part of that endeavor, she wrote many, many books and articles and traveled the world making speeches. And since her speeches were not intelligible to some, Anne often, Anne often translated them for her. You know how long that relationship lasted? 50 years. That relationship lasted 50 years, and it ended when Anne died in 1936. She was asked to write some words. These were some of the words she wrote about her friend. My teacher is so near to me that I can scarcely think of myself apart from her. I feel that her being is inseparable from my own, that her footsteps that the footsteps of my life are in hers. All the best of me belongs to her. There is not a talent, nor an inspiration, or a joy in me that has not been awakened by her loving touch. That's companionship, isn't it? That's a relationship. Let me ask a question. If you and I were asked to pen words about our relationship with Jesus Christ, would it sound like that? And if not, why? That is the type of relationship that Jesus Christ wants with each and every single one of his disciples. He wants us to be able to say that we are inseparable from him. That our footsteps are actually his footsteps. And there is nothing good in us that has not come from knowing Jesus Christ. How many people, maybe you're not there. I don't know if I can say I'm there. How many people want to be there? I hope so. I hope so. Because this is what Christianity is all about. We're going to talk about this relationship, and we're going to, we're going to talk about two relational realities. I'm sure that we've all met people, and usually they're the older saints. I, I, I know a, a few that I've met in my time, and I've, I've met them, and just by being around them for 10 to 20 minutes— I know they have a close relationship with Jesus Christ. You know those people, right? 
and you, you leave that and you're like, man, I want to get there. It, it doesn't come overnight, does it? It takes a lot of work, and we're going to talk about that today. So two, rela- two relational realities. I'm not going to be saying that too much. Two relational realities. The first one is closeness with Jesus Christ is conditional. Closeness with Jesus Christ is conditional. Verse 23, so here's how he responds to Judas's question. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. I'm sure you've all been in restaurants, and there's rules in restaurants, right? Usually there's certain rules in restaurants. Uh, There's a a very popular, it's called Bandra Eatery or something like that. It has a poster on the wall, uh, and it has these rules that that are listed there. It says, no laughing loudly, no singing, no, no childish tantrums, and I think that's for the adults. No combing of the hair, no gossiping, I don't know how they figure that one out. Uh, and no feet on the chair. Uh, there's also another restaurant uh, that says a few things about reining in your tots. And it says parents whose kids are running amok, the parents will actually be made to stand in a corner. And the kids and nannies must be seated at at the same table with the family. So uh, one of the owners, Jeremy Horowitz, says that no one's complaining over these rules and regulations. As a matter of fact, people actually really appreciate them. There's only been a few people that have been offended. They said those who have well-behaved kids see no reason why other parents can't discipline their children. Here's the reason why. After all, Everybody wants to enjoy a meal and enjoy their time together without being disturbed. Agree? Right? I would be banned from most of those restaurants as a child, probably most likely. Or my my parents would be in that corner a lot while I was sitting there eating up. I'm not a fan of rules. I wasn't a fan of rules. I'm okay with them now. Um, But... But we live in a world with rules and conditions, don't we? And, and, and we get used to that, don't we? Because those rules and conditions do what? They actually benefit us. Just like the goals of this restaurant is, is there are rules, right? So that people can do what? Enjoy their time together. So that they can enjoy their relationship And we're always okay with these things in the world as long as we're being benefited. But as soon as it comes to God, and as soon as he starts placing conditions on our relationship, we're like, whoa, wait a second, Lord. Wait, grace? What about grace, Jesus? What about mercy? And we begin to look at God as he's some controlling killjoy that wants to take away all our freedom, and that's not the case at all. What is Jesus after here? He's after fellowship. So I want to be really clear, because he starts out by saying, you, you know, the, the one who loves me keeps my commandments, and the Father will love him, and we will come and make our home, or we will come and actually it means to make a space. And it's a space where you can rest in each other and you can share with each other. 
By no means is God's love conditional on our obedience. So God's love for us is given freely at the cross. However, however, we enjoy and remain in that love. We experience that love when we lovingly obey him. And our obedience is directly related to our love for Jesus Christ. Obedience is not done to earn salvation. Obedience is not done out of guilt or out of fear. Obedience stems from love. And love for Jesus Christ is seen in obeying his word. We can come to church. We can raise our hands. We can sing songs. We can go to programs. We can read our Bibles. We can do all of that. And all of those things may be a manifestation of our love, but one of the main things that Jesus says is a direct result of our love is obedience to his word. Obedience to his command. I like what Matthew Henry says, that love is the root and obedience is the fruit of that. When he says, and he's talking about making our home with him, so we can never drive God or Jesus Christ from our homes, right? He comes and he dwells in us. That's a permanent dwelling. He said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. We don't have to worry about that, but what can we do? We can drive them from fellowship. We can drive them away from that intimate relationship, and we do that by disobeying them. That's exactly what he is saying. He is after a happy home. The love is in the present tense. So the one who is loving, it's a continual love. It's not a one time I'm going to lie, I declare my love for Jesus, and that's it, it's over with. It's a continual love, and that continual love should be shown in obedience. The obedience or the keeping of the commands is in the future, but it's not, it's not definite. There's a little question about it, right? So we can love him and not always be obeying him. But he says the primary result of your love is going to be your obedience. So the picture is this intimate union with the Father and Jesus, and we're all dwelling together, right? So go back to the restaurant. Is there going to be good fellowship if there's, there's someone throwing a temper tantrum at the table, right? No, it's not, it's not, it's not going to happen, right? Can you, imagine, can you imagine, you know, trying to talk and have the relationship? And you've probably eaten at a restaurant and there's been a kid. Maybe he's banging you in the back of the head with something. And you're like, you know, I just want to take that thing and bang your parents over the head with it. But that's what happens. And, and the same thing goes for our relationship with God. Yes, we, he never leaves us. Yes, he always loves us. We have eternal security, but he wants more than that. He wants our hearts. And obedience shows our love. It's the same thing that James is saying when he talks about, where's your faith if you have no works? It's a direct manifestation. But I want to hit on this word keep because this is an interesting word for keep. So we can, we can come into a passage like this and we can say, oh yeah, he says keep, 
you know, hold on to or obey. Uh, but this word, this word is very, very intensive, and it's very, very intentional. It's very, very intentional. It means to watch over, or it means to guard, or to cause a condition to continue. So what's the condition that's continuing? The condition that is continuing is our loving obedience. That's what's continuing. And by doing that, the condition also that's continuing would add on is the fellowship and the unbroken relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. It means to give up or not to lose. So when I read that this word was also, it's used to, as a guard watching over a prisoner, I was able to relate to that since my job was to watch over prisoners for 11 years of my life. Right, so I'll tell you what it was like when we went into, when I went into work. We go into a unit, and in the unit, there's these kind of doors up in different pods. So there was three pods, and then an open day room area. And depending on how many staff we had, every 15 minutes, every 15 minutes, it didn't matter what we were doing, we had to stop what we were doing, and we had to walk around the entire unit. And if I knew that there were kids inside of their rooms, I had to peek in that door and make sure that they were behaving and, and, and being normal. Well, I shouldn't say normal, sorry. That they were behave, being normal for them. So we would walk, and we'd have to check the bathrooms, and then we'd have to come back, and we'd have to log it. J.P.W. Labaz, 15-minute check. Over and over and over and over and over for hours on end. Brian, Brian knows what that's all about, walking around and just looking indoors. And when I, when I read this, that really changed my perspective on how we're looking at God's Word. Are we looking intently at His Word like that? So what's the idea? We're making sure, we're reading His Word and we're saying, okay, yep, 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 and we're intent on keeping his word. We're intent on keeping his commands. Why? Because we love him. That's why. And because we want to continue that relationship with him. I think sometimes, though, we just, you know, we kind of, we put this book on the shelf and Sunday comes, you know, yeah, Pastor Mark said some funny things or not so funny things or, you know, and then, and then we, it collects dust and we wonder why our relationship is growing cold with him. And we wonder why we don't see him working in our lives. Well, we haven't, we haven't shown him our love. We're not loving him. And Monday through Saturday, we're just kind of drifting. Folks, nobody falls into obedience. As a matter of fact, right? I mean, where's the push? The push is in the opposite direction, isn't it? The push is to not obey. The push is the flesh wants to do all of these things. I don't, I don't fall into obedience. <laughs> it it is going to take work. And the same thing goes with our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that he uses the singular for word. Well, which word is that? Guess what? It's all of it. 
Later on, he's going to use the plural, but it's all of it. So we cannot treat Jesus's word like an old country buffet, right? And, that, and I, feel, I, I feel that what I see in Christianity today, that's exactly what we're doing. That's an Indian food buffet. So if you don't like Indian food, you're not going to be tempted. But I, that's the second one right there, lamb curry. Love it. You ever been to an Indian food buffet? It's the greatest thing on earth. It's just full of spices. And all right, so now I'm going to, I do that intentionally. So you guys get really hungry and mad if I go long. But we cannot, we, so Christianity today is being treated just like that. We're going to that buffet and we're like, oh yeah, ooh, this is, that's really good. I don't take a lot of that stuff, right? But then we go, oh, no, that's not for me. And we, we leave it there and then we expect to come to the dinner table with the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is like, where's your broccoli? You know, like, I don't eat the broccoli. We're like, well, you gotta eat the broccoli. It's part of the, it's part of the diet. This is what it's about. It's all of the word. It's not some of the word. We can't leave any aspect of it out. I can't, I just can't say it enough because that's what churches are doing. And we wonder why we're running around as malnourished Christians. We should be turning this world upside down. And this is the reason. We're abandoning this. And we want the relationship and we want all the feelings, and we want all the emotion, but we don't want to do the work. And I think that's why we're placing such an emphasis on Sunday mornings and trying to drive up all these emotions and drive up all these feelings and have all this excitement because Monday through Saturday, we don't have that. This isn't going to replace that. This is... This is just a manifestation of your love. Is this going to help you grow? Absolutely. I pray to God that it does. But when we're not together, what is going on with your relationship with him? Is it a, is it a happy home? Because that's what he wants. Is it a home where you're all sitting down together and everyone's happy? Or is someone throwing a tantrum at the table? He longs for an intimate relationship with us. And we can't begin to think that we know everything we need to know about Jesus Christ. We won't on this side of heaven. We're going to grow in our knowledge with him. And how, 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 does, how does he usually do that in our life? How, does, how do we grow in our knowledge and intimacy with him? What does he allow to come in or what does he bring in? Pain, pain and suffering, right? Trials. Trials. And we don't like those, and understandably so. And they can be really, really, really hard, but sometimes you'll talk to someone. I was talking to someone this past week, and, and they said, yeah, you know, when you, you see those people and they're going through these hard times, and even though they're going through so much, they say, but I've never felt closer to Jesus. Why? Because he's removing all of those distractions. He's removing all of that, and they are comfortable in their home with him. All relationships take work, all of them. 
our relationship together takes work. It takes coming together, talking to each other, getting to know each other, hanging out, doing things together. Marriage relationships take work. You don't say your vows and then wake up the next morning into a blissful marriage by, by no means whatsoever. And what hinders those relationships? Sin. If I'm constantly sinning against my family, do you think we're going to have a, a close, tight, personal relationship? Do you think that my daughter or my wife are going to want to open up to me? Absolutely not. The same goes for our relationship with Jesus Christ. The sin hurts the relationship. And continuous sin can actually make the relationship grow very stale and very cold. And disobedience, just like our restaurants, disobedience has consequences. The second relational reality is disobedience results in God's decree. Verse 24 Jesus just says the inverse of this, but I want you to look at what he kind of leaves out here. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear from me is not mine, but it's the Father's who has sent me. Guy tells a story about uh, associate pastor, he said he's an associate pastor at a church near Portland, Oregon. He was also a part-time manager of a townhouse complex where, where, where they lived. Once a month, he would attend a manager's meeting for the property management company that ran the complex. So he would meet managers from all over the, the Portland metro area. He said, I can still remember one of those meetings that I, he attended back in 2007. One of the managers told us that she had to uh, evict a group of tenants, uh, a couple actually, that she evicted earlier that month. They were living in total squalor. That's not a picture of their home. I just found a picture of a trashy. That's a picture of someone else's trashy apartment. <laughs> but she, so what she had done is she, she had warned them. She gave them a written notice in January about their behavior. Finally, in August, she forcefully had to evict them. Why? Because during their entire time there, for almost a year, they hadn't taken the trash out once. One t- <laughs> I don't know how people... That's like a, a self-inflicted prison. The uh, property management company had to bring in a 40-foot dumpster just to clean out their tiny little apartment. That is a lot of trash. I wonder if we did a spiritual look at our hearts. How much trash have we allowed to build up? And how has that trash been affecting our home with Jesus Christ and God the Father? Because what Jesus says here is he eerily leaves something out. So in the beginning, he says, Keep my, you love me, keep my commandments, we come in what? My father loves him, or you remain in that love. You are, he's loving you, and we come and make our abode. It's a happy home, isn't it? So what does he leave out? He leaves out the rest, doesn't he? It's not there. And what he says is not his words, they're God's word. So the result, disobedience, reveals a lack of love. 
Lack of love results in God's decree, which is broken fellowship. It is broken fellowship by God's word. Because if Jesus is constantly saying, look, if you're doing this, the result is this. If you're not doing this, then the result is what? The opposite. He's not going to further disclose himself. He's not going to give us further revelation. Our relationship is going to be fractured, so to speak. I don't want to push that too far. And we're going to basically drive him from fellowship with us. We never, ever lose our salvation, but we can have broken fellowship just like we would in a marriage, where the marriage has grown cold. Revelation, and and I think we have to see, just to back up, that disobedience has to have consequences, just like the lady had to evict the people, right? There's a consequence to that. You cannot allow trash to build up in your house. And I would say you cannot allow trash to build up in your souls, in your spiritual house, where where God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are dwelling without some sort of consequence for what is going to happen. And disobedience has consequences. Revelation 3.20 is often used as a popular evangelistic passage. And I can, we can see why, right? We can see why people use it in... in in that sense, and I, I suppose that we could broadly use it in that sense, but we have the picture of, you know, Jesus, you know, oh, Jesus knocking on the door of your heart, and he just wants to come on in, you know, hang out with you. You just got to open the door. But I want you to look at that in relationship to what, what, what we're saying here today, and let's keep that in its context and see what, it, see what it happens when we do that. So Jesus says to them, if anyone, here I am, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. So we can see why, if you take it out of its context and you, you can see why evangelistic purposes. What does he say right before that? Because that's important, isn't it? He says, those whom I love, I reprove. Oh, wait a second. He loves them already. He's already in a relationship with them. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and do what? Repent. This is shameful. You know what Jesus is doing? He's knocking on the door of the church because they've kicked him out. He's asking permission to come back in to his church. Hey, you've, you guys realize I'm out here? Why does he want to come back in to restore fellowship? That's why he's telling them to repent. Repent. 
Some of us might need to check the doors of our hearts and see if anyone's out there knocking. Because that's exactly what sin does. Maybe we haven't totally evicted him. But maybe we're kind of like those marriages that are, people are getting divorced and then they're living together still in the same, in the same place, right? I'm sure we've heard of that. And, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe we've assigned Jesus his own room and the rest of the house is us, right? The rest of the house is all our trash. But then we try to go into that room and, you know, hey, Jesus, how you doing today? And maybe we're keeping Jesus around just for the stability. Maybe we're keeping him around just for his insurance policy. Folks, that's not Christianity. That's not discipleship. That's not fellowship. The whole upper room discourse is a picture of this, isn't it? What, how did he begin this? He began by eating a meal with them. And then once Judas Iscariot, the traitor, leaves, Jesus then really begins to do what? Open up and reveal himself. Can you imagine if Jesus is sitting here having the upper room discourse and Peter all of a sudden starts throwing a temper? Well, Peter, yes, we could imagine Peter throwing a temper tantrum. So let's say, can you imagine if John started throwing a temper tantrum while Jesus is talking to them? Or John or, or, or the other disciples start disobeying Jesus while he's talking to them? If we wouldn't do it when we were face-to-face -face with Jesus, why do we do it when we're his disciples now? Constantly pushing him out. Disobedience reveals a lack of love. And when we sin and when we disobey, we reveal that we love those things more than Jesus. And we want those things more. And we're willing to sacrifice our, our friendship, our intimacy, and our closeness with him because of those things. That's what we're saying. We may not want to say that, but that's what we're saying by our actions. And we often think of these sins as the, all the immorality, right? So you know, the sexual sins or the anger, or the jealousies or whatever it may be. And we often think of it like that. But when Jesus says his word, right, or his words, it, it covers the entire message. Folks, there are two types of sin. Sins of commission, ones that we actively commit. And there are sins of omission, where we actually should be doing things and we're not doing them like loving our neighbors, where we actively should be loving our neighbors. Or Matthew 28, which is what? And I harp on this all the time, but it's the Great Commission. That's a command, folks. So the question is, how are we participating in that command? Because if we're not participating in that at all, We got to ask ourselves what's happening. It's not just those immoral sins. It covers the entire scope of it. 
Many, many times we might be hurting our relationship with Jesus Christ because we're ignoring these words. And like the buffet, we choose other ones that are more easy to swallow, more palatable to us. Notice what Jesus says here. And we've talked about this before, and it's very, very important. So the words that he is saying, they're not his. They're his father's. How many times has, has Jesus reiterated that? A lot, hasn't he? What is he saying to us? So not only is it by God's word that there's a broken relationship or that there's an effect on our fellowship with him, we have to see that Jesus is constantly telling us the truth, isn't he? Is, he, is Jesus holding back because he's afraid of what his disciples will think? No. So there we have an example for us, right? So when, we come to, when I come to passages like this, it's not a, a joy where I'm like, oh, hey, I get to talk about disobedience, consequences, and broken relationship. Yay. That's a fun church day. You guys are going to go out here feeling great. <laughs> You're like, this is so awesome. I feel so good about myself. But... But, so what if I had that mindset? I was listening to a great sermon by Alistair Begg this past week, and he was asking and bemoaning the state of preaching in the church. And he's saying, what happened to it? You know what he says what happened to it? Is this is controlling this. The people and what the people want to hear are controlling what the church is saying to them. Did Jesus do that? No, he faithfully repeated every single thing that God wanted him to say. Paul says the same thing. I declare to you the entire council, the whole council, the whole book. And especially when we come to passages like this, and especially in the culture that we find ourselves in today, which is this fun-filled, positive, no judgment, no consequences, kindergarten Christianity, you and I need to proclaim the truth. Why? Because this affects your relationship with him. And I want each and every single one of us to have a deep, deep relationship with Christ. Because if you have a deep relationship with Christ, if you have a deep fellowship, if Jesus Christ is your best friend, everything else is going to fall into place, isn't it? Everything else is going to be okay. Because that is your primary relationship, and that is your primary focus of your life. Jesus never left out anything. We cannot be more concerned with filling the seats and filtering God's Word to fill the seats. That's not Christianity. Because if we filter God's Word to fill the seats, there's going to be a few seats empty in our houses. And we're going to wonder what happened. Why does God do this? Why is Jesus focusing on this? Because it's important to discipleship. He is leaving his disciples, isn't he? He's, and he's saying, hey, this is how it's going to work from here on out, guys. If you're loving me, you're obeying me, we're going to be inseparable. We don't want those empty seats. 
these seats can be empty. If we're preaching God's truth and if we're doing it in love and grace, these seats can be empty. That's okay. We don't want those seats at our house's dinner tables empty. Because our response to Jesus' word affects our relationship with him. Plain and simple. It affects it for good or it affects it for bad. Our response to Jesus' word reveals our love or lack thereof. If we want to grow deeper in Christ, if we want to know him better, and if we think that we can do that while allowing a ton of garbage to build up in our houses, we are sorely, sorely mistaken. Do you think Helen Keller would have been able to pen those words if she was constantly disobeying Anne? Do you think at the end of her life we could have said that Helen loved Anne if she was constant? Do you think she would have gotten to the place where she was in that relationship, but just in life in general? By no means. 20 years from now, if I ask you to write words about your relationship with Jesus Christ, do you want them to sound like Helen's? I really, really hope so. It's my prayer that we can say along with her, with regards to that relationship, that I can scarcely think of myself apart from him, that our being is inseparable, that our footsteps are his footsteps. Father, thank you for your word to us. Lord, we know we often fail. Lord, but we know you have promised to constantly forgive. Lord, we want to be consistent in our relationship with you. We want to know you better. We want to experience your love and your grace and your fellowship more. Help us to do that. Help us to start in the small things in life. Help us to start in the things that you have made very clear to us that need to change. And help us to realize that it is, it is not to, to darken our joy, but to only deepen it. To deepen our joy and our fellowship with you because you love us so. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And thank you for the power that you give us through your Holy Spirit to fully love you and obey you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.